Hey, my name is Andrew. My name is Lee. And this is Whitaker Weekly. Let's get right into it. Sounds good. So, uh, right in the news, uh, earlier this week, uh, it was announced that there is a Record of Lotus War game being made for the 30th anniversary of that uh, of that series. Really? Yep. It is a side-scroller adventure starting, uh, starring Deedlet, the, uh, the female elf from the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they've got... Uh, Anime News Network has a short video on it. You can go to their YouTube. You can go to their website. Um, and it just kind of shows uh, the creation of the Deedlet uh, character in the in the gaming system, uh, in their engine. And then, um, you know, they show a little bit of uh, gameplay. It looks like it could be fun. Um, we're old. <laughs> I mean, we're old. Record of Lotus War is 30 years old. Good heavens, yes. It was... Uh, yeah, <laughs> it uh, came out back in 1988 and 88. was first named, um, it was first a novel by the name of the Grey Witch. Um, I think it was a light novel, I could be wrong about that, but it was first the Grey Witch and then it eventually became a, a manga and then it became a uh, the, the anime that you and I both know and love and hopefully our listeners uh, both know and love as well if you don't. Do yourself a favor and check it out. It's a fantastic series. Uh, but yeah, so that's the that's first bit of news. Uh, what's the next one? Um, so it turns out, uh, according to uh, this article on Anime News Network, um, Capcom has been registering trademarks for Onimusha in several countries outside of Japan. Oh. Sounds like they're gearing up for an international release. Uh, yeah, that... That definitely looks like what it could be. I mean, the last one was... Uh... Oh, gosh. When did Onimusha 3 even come out? Uh, it's been... It's been out for a... It's been out for a while. It's been a long time since an Onimusha game came out. I mean, I think there was the browser game back in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that... It's been a long time since we had an Onimusha game. I wonder if they're either making a new one or if they are, um, they're, you know, gearing up for a re-release, like an HD release of the original three Onimusha games. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Onimusha fans, you should be excited. Absolutely. All right. Um, also in gaming news, um, Castlevania Grimoire of Souls has been revealed for iOS release. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, mixed feelings on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the one hand, um, iOS as if it's if it's only for iOS, it's a limited uh, limited market that it's being released to. Um, so maybe they'll uh, expand to other mobile devices. Yeah, maybe. But at the same time, I don't want to play a Castlevania game on my phone. I'd rather just either have it on a handheld system or even on a console. It'd be great to have mm-hmm. a new Castlevania game on a console. But, you know, I guess we should be... Th- you know, no, I don't want to be thankful uh, for them coming out with a, a mobile one. I mean, at least they're admitting that the series isn't dead. But at the same time, I don't want a mobile Castlevania game. I'd much <laughs> rather have a uh, a full one uh, for either the 3DS or, you know, uh, the Switch uh, PS4, Xbox One, you know, I would love a new HD uh, Castlevania game. And this one, from what it looks like, 
Oh, okay. This is a continuation of um, the Aria of Sorrow series, it looks like. Really? Yeah. That takes place in uh, near future Japan. Hmm. Uh, the first one came out for the Game Boy Advance. Uh, they then came out with Dawn of Sorrow for the DS. Um, and uh, I don't want to give any spoilers away because it's uh, Aria of Sorrow. The storyline for that is one of my favorite Castlevania game stories out there. Like, I hold it up there with Symphony of the Night. Wow. It's just incredible. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll have to wait and see what it's like. If it's good, great. Um, but personally, I'd rather have it on a handheld uh, not a mobile device, but like a, a handheld system. Well, you can uh, you can always get an iPad. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I literally have it... no need for an iPad. Well, I'm just saying, those of us who with iPads would probably play this game and it'd be a bit... Bigger? Clo closer to the handhold console that you're used to as opposed to the small screen that you're getting on a phone. Uh, yeah, okay, I could see that. Also, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, touchscreen controls when it comes to adventure games. Sure. They always feel a bit lackluster to me. Yeah, when you when you end up having to spare a little bit of uh, real estate on your screen mm -hmm. for your controls, it always leaves a little wanting. Mm -hmm. Well, and this goes back to the debate. So many people wanted a Mario game, uh, and we do have Super Mario Go now, or Super Mario Run, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, which is fine, but they wanted a full-on Mario game where you had, like, you know, the jumping ability and the moving, running, and things like that for yeah, more devices. Mar Mario Run is devised to be, you know, you're running and you tap to jump. Uh -huh. which, which you can do combos and do various tricks with, but still, it's an auto-run mm -hmm. system. So you don't mm -hmm. have the... You don't... You, you automatically have less control... Than the very first Mario game. Well, yeah, and that's just what I'm saying. A touch screen is great for certain games. Not for a Mario game. Uh, for a full-fledged Mario game. For full-fledged Mario games, I mean, you should see some of the crazy stuff yes. that speedrunners do or some of the things that people do to get through the um, the homebrew levels that people are coming up with. Oh, yes. You need precise, exact controlling in order to do a Mario game and do it well. You do not have precise, exact controls on a mobile phone. And so many people wanted that. Uh, wanted a Mario game. Like a full Mario game on the phone. And every time they brought that up. I was just like. Wouldn't work. Wouldn't work. You'd have mm. to get your precise controls down. And they would say. Oh. Well, Nintendo would find a way. And. I just kind of now point to Super Mario Run. And say. Yeah. They didn't find a way. It's not possible. Mm. I mean. Tap to jump is the best that, you, that you've got. Anyways, uh, next bit of news. This is very, very exciting news. Um, episode 13 of SAO Abridged, a hysterical abridged series on YouTube. Um, episode 13 has a preview clip for patrons. Uh, yes, if you're a patron of um, Something Witty Entertainment, uh, patreon.com forward slash SWE, and you're, make, and you're uh, a patron paying $25 or more a month, you have access to the uh, preview clip for SAO Abridged Episode 13. It makes me very excited to continue with that series because it deserves to keep going. Yes, and uh, on the same article, they mentioned that they're now in work, uh, working on building a My Hero Academia Abridged series as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with that. G given their track record, I, I bet it's going to be brilliant. Mm -hmm. Well, and... 
it's a show that I don't want to say deserves an abridged series because usually that means it's a bad show. Yes. Um, but in my hero, Academia is fantastic. It's wonderful. It is. Um, but I think it's the kind of show that would make a very good uh, abridged series when in the hands of the right people. Mm. Um, because Sword Art Online has a very fairly serious, you know, overtones. Yes. Um, so does My Hero Academia. It's very, it takes, uh, I don't want to say it takes itself seriously because that sounds like it's a joke. There, but... There's, there's, uh, there's moments of comedy throughout a serious story arc. Uh-huh. I mean, there, there's, sh- there's mm-hmm. going to be, and, and a, lot a lot of, of shonen manga yeah. do that pretty well. Yes. Yes. There, there is dramatic element and there is pending sorrow you know mm-hmm. you know bad things are coming for certain characters and it's one of those be happy for them now because you're going to be sad later mm-hmm. kind yeah. of story arcs yeah something like that it's uh but it's it, deep and it's moving and it's beautiful mm-hmm. i completely agree and so ha- so watching what uh so we're looking forward both of us are looking forward to what something witty entertainment does with my hero academia abridged I'm very excited for that news. I'm excited for more SAO abridged, and I'm excited to see what they do with My Hero Academia abridged. Okay, um, now next bit. You want to read that? Oh, yes. So, Fathom Events has, for the last few months, been airing uh, Studio Ghibli movies. Um, If you don't know, Fathom Events is a uh, service that is provided at many theaters around the world. That you can go to, pick up a ticket, and go to a broadcast screening of various things. And they do, uh, they they do um, live uh, performances from the Metropolitan uh, in New York City. They do a number of other. Um, they do opera, Broadway, mm-hmm. all sorts of things, all sorts of events that bring people together. But something that they've been doing is Studio Ghibli movies. And this month, next week, they're doing The Cat Returns. They'll be doing the dubbed version on April's 25th and 22nd and 25th, and the subtitled version on April 23rd. And next month, they're doing Porco Rosso on May 20th, 21st, and 23rd. As well as, they have a uh, um, one showing of Digimon Adventure Tri Coexistence. A, digi- a new Digimon movie uh, for May 10th coming mm-hmm. out. Cool. So, um, Yeah, they did this last year. I went and I saw several movies. They, it was called uh, Ghibli Fest 2017. This is Ghibli Fest 2018. Fantastic. Um, so pretty much every month for the following year, they're going to be airing a Studio Ghibli movie at a Fathom event. And I love Fathom events. Um, they, uh, mostly because they're the best chance that I have to see MST3K live. Uh, for those, Mystery Science Theater 3000, for oh, those yes. younger listeners of ours. They call themselves Riff Tracks now? Well, they don't call themselves Riff Tracks. It's, their, it's the company name is Riff Tracks. The company you know? name is yeah, Riff Tracks, okay. They, they, uh, they don't... They're still doing Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Netflix now. Uh-huh. It's done by the same people, but with new actors. Yes. Um, but the original actors uh, and the voices for Tom and Crow, um, they are uh, the three guys the, who pretty much wrote all the jokes and everything, and they're yes. doing it now for Riff Tracks. Now, and you, about twice a year, they do a live performance, and it's thanks to Fathom that I get to see those live performances. Now, aren't Patton Oswalt and Felicia Day involved in the new one? 
Are they like the villains who send them movies? I think so, yes. So that's I'll fantastic. Have to, I'll have to double check. Um, but yeah, uh, Fathom Events is great. Um, so we'll keep you up to date when uh, new things are coming in the following months. Yeah, it's a little bit pricey, but you know, it's you get a couple of chances to see it and then it's done. So I think it's worth the, worth the price of admission. All right. And for the last bit of news, something that I just came across as we were, uh, you know, prepping for tonight's episode. EA says that loot boxes in Battlefront 2 was a big mistake. Captain really? Hindsight. You don't say. You don't say. Everybody said it was a mistake before they released it. Mm. But it seems that now... EA is finally admitting that it was a big mistake. Yes. And uh, honestly, it's a big mistake that cost them my money because ever because of the horrible mishandling of Battlefront 2, uh-huh. I've sworn off from ever buying an EA published game ever again. I'm done with them as a game studio. They are awful, and I would not shed a single tear if they were to go bankrupt tomorrow. Mm. So... Those are my non-controversial uh, controversial opinions on uh, yes. on EA. Anyways, yeah, there's that little bit of news I came, we came across. Yes. Anything else we want to cover before we jump into three episodes in? Um, no, not really. I, I was thinking about uh, loot boxes and a video I saw on uh, that uh, Extra Credits did that kind of explained the theory behind why they tried it and then a couple of uh legal ramifications and why loot boxes are technically not gambling mm-hmm. because you don't have because what you get from the boxes are not immediately a monetary value mm-hmm. item so um but at the same time that also brings up other things because same way that blister packs are not gambling yeah that being said though um blister packs or booster packs and things for card games yeah you will always have that if the game server is ever shut down for battlefront 2 all the money you've pumped into it is now gone that's true you there's then no value for what you purchased whatsoever so there's that so anyways uh before we get into that hornet's nest let's go ahead and just dive into three episodes in fantastic what uh, was our three episodes this week i forgot so so this week we uh Decided to watch Psycho Pass in the first three episodes of that. Okay. And how did that go for you? Oh, it was quite interesting. Um, learned pretty quickly that this is not a show I can watch with my children. Nope, nope. In the first ten seconds or so, you learn very quickly that this is not a show for children. No. Um, with a body exploding as it's thrown out of a skyscraper. Within the first within the first 30 seconds, a body goes boom. Mm-hmm. And we have... a. Raining guts. Raining guts. Um, but no, I. Okay. This show struck me as a combination of Judge Dredd and um, Minority Report. Mm-hmm. We have these characters who are going around as um, judge, jury, and executioner with these. With a system that exists that determines the innocence or guilt of a person before they've even committed a crime. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm seeing the Judge Dredd and Minority Report mm-hmm. uh, 
similarities. Um, slight difference in Judge Dread. The judges, they're the judges themselves. They are judge, jury, and executioner. Yes, they are. Whereas in Psychopaths, it's Sybil. Yes. Sybil and, and is our... judge, jury. They are the executioners. Yes. Sybil mm-hmm. decides whether or not somebody is deserving of death. And, and uh, well, we'll get into how the, how that's executed um, as we delve into this three episodes in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first off, um, I want to just go ahead and start off with one of the things that I liked about it. Um, the first episode starts off and it starts playing the theme song. Uh, for the opening credits, and I'm thinking, okay, so this is the theme song, so this is the opening credits and whatnot. It's not. No. Um, a lot of anime will just go ahead, like for the first episode, they'll just go ahead and get started and go into the story. Um, and personally, I kind of really liked that misdirect because I was expecting it to be the opening credits. Yes. Uh, because they started playing the music and stuff, and it it wasn't. It was. No. It really, very much just jumped right into the story. A I actually... future part of the story. Yes. Um, no idea how far in yes. the future it is at this point, but... It's some predictive prologue. Mm-hmm. Letting you know that some event is going to happen, and this is it. And, mm-hmm. we're leading, and we will be leading up to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the narration I, at the beginning is provided by the main uh, female protagonist. Yes. Um, now the, uh, I actually had to restart the episode because I, was, I heard the opening credit music and started to go prep something to get ready to take my notes, and then... Realized, wait, I'm missing something, and had to restart and watch it through again because mm-hmm. because they did that because they completely skipped the existence of an opening credit sequence. Besides, it, the music was there, mm-hmm. the credits were there, uh, there were yeah 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 notes, no no well, but yeah. like like I was saying, yeah, most other anime when they have the first episode they don't bother doing the opening credits until the very end. Yes, they just go right into it and start going. Yes, and so. Personally, I liked the, I liked the change of pace. I thought it was a it felt different. It felt new. It made you uh, it made you realize you had to be paying attention. From it where made we me are. feel like I was in for a different experience in this show than I had been for other anime. Mm-hmm. And so far, this is kind of a throwback to '90s kind of psychological game anime, uh-huh. um, and not so much the more modern day stuff that we see in anime. Right. So, anyways, um, so it opens up on our um, protagonist. Um, let me go ahead and pull up my doc here that has everybody's names. Yes. Um, Kogami Shinya. Mm. Um, Kogami Shinya is fighting this guy who has some kind of a buzzsaw um, in this giant tower. And yes, he's about to pull the gun on him, but uh, he pulls his gun on him. Shin, um, Kogami pulls his gun on the guy with the buzzsaw, I should yes. say, just for clarification. And... Doesn't pull the trigger, but seems disappointed. And at first, you don't know why. And later on throughout the episodes, we learned that, you know, the gun uh, is connected to Sybil. And Sybil gives them a rating whether or not this person is deserving of death. Yes. Um, and uh, I, at that point, apparently the person wasn't deserving of death. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's here trying to kill me, and it's still not good enough. Yeah. Um, and so he... Uh, well, I wonder if it has something to do with that helmet of his. Because Maybe. the guy with the buzzsaw had a very odd-looking helmet on, and when he got thrown out of the window, part of the helmet got disconnected. Ah. And then he was able and to... Then uh... he, and then Sybil was either able to recognize him or something, and he was able to then kill him uh, because his gun does not activate the kill mode unless Sybil says so. Yes. All right. 
Uh, which brings us into what's going on in this series mm-hmm. and why it is called Psychopaths. Mm-hmm. And what happens is every citizen is given what's called a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And it, what it is, is it is an evaluation based on a multifaceted evaluation that a AI gives every single citizen based on their behavior and their associations with one another. And it's this very deranged credit score that determines whether that determines your likelihood of committing a crime your likelihood of committing a crime but also determines what your entire life is going to be by the time you're five or earlier it's true that happens too one of the characters reveals that he is where he is because he was declared to be a potential criminal at the age of five and and that therapy would do nothing to help so yeah it's so this I don't know about you, but I know plenty of five year olds where I think therapy wouldn't help, but they grow up to be pretty okay people. Yes. So anyways. Oh uh, there there's a line in uh what's it called? Uh Criminal Minds. That that's the show I was thinking of. It was like it's also like mm-hmm. Criminal Minds where it's doing this profi- criminal profiling. Something someone says is you can't profile a teenager, they all profile as sociopaths. Mm-hmm. Well, and then uh, real so... fast, before we go into the, the start of the show, uh the opener we're also introduced to uh, Makishima Shogo, who is a man with white hair. And they mm. say that uh, these two were not, um, they were not, uh, you they, know, folks in the night just passing each other. They knew more about each other than anybody else in the entire world, that mm. they were destined to be here. Yeah, de- destiny had brought these two together. Mm-hmm. And that's where the opener ends and we get taken to... I don't want to say modern day, but, you know, that's the future, so... So, it takes us to the earliest point in the narrative chronologically. We'll just call it modern. Yeah. Okay, we'll just call it the now. The so, now. it takes us to the now. It takes us to the now of the story, mm-hmm. where we get introduced to another character who is our point of view character. Mm-hmm. Tsunemori Akane. She is a brand new uh, officer. Um, shoot, I know that you have it written down here. I'm trying to remember what her position is actually called. Okay, uh, she is an, an inspector. inspector. She mm. has been hired on as an inspector. And we come to find out that she was a genius-level student who passed so many different exams that she could have chosen to go into any field. And for her own personal reasons, chose to be an inspector. Despite mm. all of the opportunities that she could have done, more exciting careers, careers that would have set her financially for life, mm-hmm. things that were safe to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, her reasoning that she gave was that she had taken all these exams, but in every other field, there was somebody else who would also ace the exam. Whereas she was the only person to ace the inspector exam. Mm-hmm. And she thought, because I'm the only person to have aced this, there must be something I can contribute to this system. That's the reasoning she gives. We that's, don't know if that's the truth. No, that's that. Yes, mm-hmm. she utter she utters that as her reason. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I kind of interrupt you when you were talking about the civil system. Yes. So let's go back to that. Okay. So the civil system um, determines a person's uh, latent criminality. Mm-hmm. Meaning, it it gives them a number saying the likelihood of this person committing a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there is a and the problem with this and the 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 show itself exists as an examination of um cross philosophies because the adoption of the civil civil system means an absolute belief in determinism Mm -hmm. that if you know so much about something something else is inevitable Mm -hmm. uh it goes back to the um that scene in minority report where tom cruise throws a marble across his desk and somebody catches it and says well why'd you catch it because it was gonna fall well how do you know Mm-hmm. And so that's that is the philosophy of determinism right there. Mm-hmm. But our protagonist, what's her name? Uh, Sinemori. Yeah, Sinemori is an influence of. Um, she believes that there that there are more choices that that human nature allows people to come back from whatever. That that is not just the AI's determination of a score that should determine your action, but mm-hmm. you should read more into a situation. Mm-hmm. Because one of the major events in the first episode involves a a guy who has given up mm-hmm. on society because his psychopath score has reached a point where he is now going to be killed on sight by mm-hmm. a, an enforcer. Mm-hmm. And so he's just given up, kidnaps this girl, and proceeds to try to rape her. Mm-hmm. Um. A a a, pursu- <laughs> a pursuit ensues of this guy, but be- and then suddenly be- they they eliminate him, but her proximity to him, for such an extended period of time, polluted her psycho score, which meant that she's also a latent criminal and likely to commit a crime. Mm-hmm. But she's a latent criminal and likely to commit a crime because of the system that Sybil created. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is the show that we're dealing with. Yep. And so she she finds herself in a position where she's lying in a pool of gas, scantily clad, bruised, cut, and injured, with a lighter in a pool of gasoline ready to immolate herself because it seems like the best option. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for our protagonist, it would have been. Mm-hmm. She was the only source of sense... In this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it meant shooting her partner in the back. Not really her no, not partner. Her. Okay. So, okay. In this show, and and this is, okay, so this brings in elements of something akin to Suicide Squad. In that there are two factions within the police force. There are the inspectors and the enforcers. And enforcers, like Suicide Squad, like Catch Me If You Can, are... In theory, criminals who their only career choice in life is to become slaves to the police to go and they, they refer to them as dogs. They refer to them in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, their psychopath number is so high that therapy isn't going to work. But they have like they've become the uh, the lap dog to the police, where yes. they're the ones who go out and do the killing. Yes. So the inspectors and enforcers go out as groups. The inspectors are in charge. Their job is to make sure the enforcers are obedient and to kill them if they're not. 
And the enforcer's job are to obey the police and do what the civil system tells them to. Mm -hmm. Because the civil system communicates them directly through their guns. Mm -hmm. Which are amazing. The Dominators. Let's go ahead and talk about the Dominators a little bit. Yes. So the Dominator is this gun. And this is the the first exposure I ever had to this series was the Dominator as a prop being Mm -hmm. presented at some anime convention. I don't know if it was Anime Expo or Comic-Con or something, but it was this amazing prop of a gun that opened up and moved around. And I linked you mm-hmm. a clip to you of what I initially saw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that, so, too. so being able to connect that cool little prop to the show that it's from, finally, mm-hmm. is, a, is a wonderful thing. It's the anime version of The Lawgiver from Judge Dredd. Yes. Judge Dredd, The Lawgiver, it's a gun that's DNA-coded, it does not fire unless it's for the person that actually will explode in the hand of the person of that or like cause an explosion. Yeah. Cause the hand that doesn't belong. Okay. The hand that it's not registered to will explode if holding that gun. Yes. It's like the sword and blade. Yes. It will, it will, it will harm mm-hmm. a non-registered user for attempting to use it. Mm-hmm. And it is connected directly to the civil system. Now what we find out is that the civil system well, runs. No, it, it won't harm someone. The, it, does it not cause harm? No, because remember the guy who, um, uh, the guy in the very first episode, uh, they slid their guns uh, because he was threatening the girl's life. Right, and he, he was shot up, by somebody else. He was shot by someone else. He was shot. Yeah, yeah, it would. It wouldn't the work gun. for him. Yep. It. Uh, that's one of the big differences between the lawgiver from Judge Dredd and the Dominator. Whereas the lawgiver is the one that will cause your hand to explode. Yes. If you are holding it and you're not the registered user of the gun. Yes. Whereas the Dominator just won't work because it's only designed to work with an a yeah. uh, an it, enforcer or an inspector. It needs to be in the hand of the registered officer, either enforcer or inspector. And it needs to be pointing at... An individual that Sybil deems worthy of either stun or lethal force. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it will work. It is a very complex piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure exactly how it comes together, but whenever somebody's communicating with it, it shows as a readout in their irises. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if they have contact lenses that it's connected to, or if it projects, in, it, like, it tracks the user's face and projects on their eyes. I think I think it's a bit more than that. I remember how in episode three, we're skipping a little bit here, but yeah. in episode three, I, I, think, I think it's like in Ghost in the Shell where they just see the display in their eyes, mm. uh, because they're wired that way. Remember how they say in, uh, well, in episode Ghost in the three... Shell- well, Ghost in the Shell, they were cyborgs. Well, they had cyber brains. Not all of them were cyborgs. Well, like, yeah. Even normal humans were considered normal if they just had a cyber brain. Okay, yeah. Um, but uh, in this show, remember, they, they go to that factory in episode three. Yes. And in that factory, they say, oh, yeah, we're, our, we're not even wired to connect to the internet. Yes. So I don't know if that was referring to the station itself or the, the factory itself or if it was referring to the workers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if the workers themselves were not wired no, to no, it, it was definitely the facility because mm-hmm. they they couldn't use their guns to scan people deep in the facility. They needed to have a wired connection well, to bring that's, it in. That's because of all the signals and things that are going through the factory yeah, as they, well. But they, but the, the, the foreman mentioned that it was a 
a hack-proof facility because it wasn't connected to the internet. There was shielding, okay. and there was... Uh, he said they built an anechoic chamber, which means mm-hmm. no echo. So it means that sound... It kills sound okay. waves. Okay. So that might be part of it, too. Like, I think I think maybe wireless... I'm not sure how the thing is... Proje- we started on this tangent because I don't know how they're projecting the information onto their eyes. and They just seem to glow blue when they're getting mm-hmm. the information. It, it could be something as simple that it's projected straight into their eyes. It could be something, you know, where the we're guns... Not, but we're, the thing is, we're not seeing, like, rays coming from the gun to them. They just It's just there. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell what exactly is happening. Mm-hmm. We might find out more soon. It's just established that that's how it's coming together. And due to how they also get dressed... That might be connected to that as well. Yeah, how they get dressed. Uh, we had a little bit of a conversation about this before. It's uh, before the we started recording, but um, the main girl, Tsunamori, uh, she wakes up the next day after having... Sh- uh, in, order for, in order to save the girl's life, she shot her... Um, uh, she shot... Uh, her enforcer. Uh, Kogami. She shot yeah. one of her enforcers. Uh-huh. Um, and then she started talking to the girl and calming the girl down. Yes. Um, and uh, after the girl got calmed down and, you know, uh, let go of the lighter. like um, uh, Disengaged the disengaged lighter. Disengaged the lighter it. and then dropped it and stuff. And then she was knocked unconscious by another inspector uh, who shot her with a stun blast. Yes. Um, but... Uh, the next day, she wakes up. Uh, Tsunemori wakes up thinking that, you know, oh, what have I done? I shot yeah, a fellow officer. First day on the job, how badly could I have screwed this up? Could there have been anything mm-hmm. worse? And she wakes up uh, with this hologram of a pink floating jellyfish. Yeah. Uh, telling her to, it's time to get up, time to get ready for work. Uh, In a dingy, drab, concrete wall apartment. Mm-hmm. Nothing, ver- nothing all original at all. Uh, or nothing, not original, but, you know, no... Just really drab, empty, yeah. except for her bed and her, uh, and she. Uh... And he 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 asks her something. I didn't follow what it was at the time, mm-hmm. but he asks her what something, and then what she style mentions or something. Would you like? She mentioned something about the hotel, some kind of hotel room. And then he place. changed the, and he projected a hologram or something. To make the room look like a room from that hotel. Yeah, it's like her... It's like... It, it, it seemed to me that she was on a holodeck. That there were... That it had... Ta- that the change in this room was tangible, even if it was fake. Mm-hmm. Which kind of is... An, is to, to have that thrown in in the second episode and establish it really hammers home just how... It's very symbolic of how the society is at large. Mm-hmm. Is that everything is everything is beautiful and calm on the front, but just go a little bit further in, and it's dark and cold and unforgiving, mm-hmm. and it looks pretty so long as you don't look too deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's what and most that's, utopia stories end up being about yes this this screamed this felt very much like it could have been written by philip k dick mm-hmm. but yeah she then has her uh her personal assistant and then as she's in the shower this is another thing that i liked about the show and i wish that we had something like this her assistant told her how many calories she had yesterday and how many calories she should have for breakfast this morning and then she just says i want a 200 calorie chinese breakfast yeah and he's like okay and then makes her her breakfast while she's in the shower and i thought to myself that's cool 
That's really cool. Yeah. I'd be totally down with with technology like that. Yes. Um But yeah, and and so and she ends up so she showers and she ends up eating breakfast clad in only her underwear bottoms and a towel draped over her. And then she goes to her mirror mm-hmm. and pulls out what looks like a pocket um, beauty. Th- uh, what are they called? What- Ladies, forgive me. But what is it called when you have a little thing that has a mirror and a poof and you just, and it's just one A makeup circular, applicator? A, a makeup applicator. Um, Anyway, it's one of those things, but she opens it up and has different buttons and controls. And as she pushes the different buttons, the mirror she's standing in front of shows her. And what what's happening is that clothes seems to clothes are generating on her body. Mm-hmm. And as she's changing buttons, it changes what clothes she's wearing. Mm-hmm. She's trying different things out, trying different styles out. And it looks like she's actually saving, she's going through her inventory and saving what she's going to wear during the day. Because later on in that day, she has that little compact. Is it called a compact? That's what it's called. Mm -hmm. She has a compact. She pulls it out, pushes a button, and goes from her casual clothes she had a lunch with her friends with to her business clothes that she goes to work in. Mm -hmm. Right there in front of her building. Just push a button, and she's in business attire. Mm -hmm. Which... Again, it shows it's so symbolic of the society they're in. It's just a thin facade that everybody accepts exists. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. And we were talking about like the, 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 this conversation kind of spawned off whether it was a hologram or the clothing was actually generating and stuff like yeah, that. Well, is it a hologram or is it a replicator that uh-huh. is capable of doing it? I mean, because yeah, she's in the rain and she's getting wet and her clothes are getting drenched. So it's clearly not. It's 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 physical. not a hologram. It's, it's not. Physical. It, it, it mm-hmm. does, yeah, it's not just packets of light. It's the clothes were getting wet. Unless it's so, so advanced that it knows to look wet once it goes out in the rain. But we're not going to go ahead and cover that. No, but it, it, <laughs> it, it could it could be any number of technological things that they just accept and don't bother explaining. Yeah, well, and that's fine. That's great for world building. Um, yeah. You don't need to explain your technology to your audience if it's so well integrated into the world that everyone in the world just kind of accepts it. Yeah. Um, so it's just one of those, you know, mm-hmm. it, you it, so long as it, it it's visually interesting enough to let you know that something is different about this, this is the future and it's different than what you've had before. Mm-hmm. So it gives you that much. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and move on to the next uh, point, and you want uh, that should be your point. Oh yes, the relationships of the inspectors and the enforcers. Uh huh. Okay, so as we've established, inspectors are people who chose the job and have career options and can leave the precinct and go and have regular lives. Can they really though? Well, once, she once can. She might be able to, but she it also can. kind of feels like. That once you're in a job, you're stuck in that job. Well, there's... there's. Well, no, she, that's not true. No, well, in episode three, they talk about transferring people to different to different places. Yes. So, so, so it, de- mm-hmm. it depends. The system determines how how socially mobile you are. But no, just it demonstrated that she once she got this job, she was still able to go out and have lunch with her friends. That's not true for the enforcers. So the enforcers are in the building when they're not on assignment. Well, the enforcers at all times. are prisoners. Yes. Like we, like we established that's, earlier. That's what I'm. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm explaining is the difference between them. Okay. Is that she can go out and do things, um, 
and have a social life. Uh-huh. And the enforcers cannot. Okay. Now, the, we've been introduced to three enforcers at this point. Uh, one of them is a no-nonsense girl who seems to be... Well, we, the... we met four enforcers in the first episode. Oh, is the uh, is the grizzled old detective? The grizzled okay. old detective is an enforcer. He's oh. not an inspector. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I wasn't counting him because of how much character he had. Sorry. Yeah, uh, when I first thought, saw him, I thought he was just going to be, you know, a throwaway character. But he's actually pretty deep and has really helped move the plot along. Indeed. But uh, their Indeed. names are Ginoza uh, Okranobuo, which is the name of the... Oh, wait, hold, hold on. Sorry. Ginoza is the name of the second inspector. Uh, the one with the hair in front of his face. The hair in front of his face, wearing the glasses, and is mm-hmm. uh, is a jerk who ex- who uh, expects to maintain the status quo. Yeah, he wants to maintain the status quo. Okura Nobuo is the old detective-looking guy with the trench coat and yeah, the cybernetic that, hand. That that and that's, there's... that he follows the trope of the um, mm-hmm. of the uh, grizzled old detective in the noir stories mm-hmm. who's seen it all and. Mm-hmm. But then the other two is uh, Kunizuka and Kagari. And I don't think we ever, they ever pinpointed who's who mm. between those in the first three episodes. But anyways, okay. yeah. So, so we, the character uh, types are, we have our main cat. Okay. In the hospital, in the episode, so after turning, okay, so she visits the guy she shot in his hospital bed mm-hmm. and is told, and gets informed and finds out that um, he that uh, he has he alludes to the pre to the uh, to the prologue uh, the predictive prologue that um, there is an event that he is planning for and he could not die then at that time mm-hmm. that no matter what he had to do he is going to survive this encounter because he's not finished with what he needs to do with his life yet. Um, so he's that trope of the driven, he, he mentions he'd look, like to be a detective, like to be an inspector, but, uh, his personality type very much clashes with, uh, mm-hmm. what that would entail mm-hmm. as we find out in episode three. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's him. And so he's the, so he's the stoic driven type, um, there's a goofball who, he's the one who told us that at the age of five, the system decided that he would be a prisoner of the state mm-hmm. because of his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he's happy-go-lucky, kind of, kind, you, you kind of get a, a Michelangelo Ninja Turtle vibe from him, that he's not terribly serious about a lot of things, but there's a there is a core underneath that that is... Much darker. I think that's a mask he wears. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I'm he pretty wears... sure that personality is a mask he wears. And so, and he's he's flirtatious and uh, outspoken, but um, but there's some definitely something deeper going on with him. And then we have the girl, who is very grim faced. Uh, we, we haven't know, seen much of her, but don't yet. know much about her. Uh, she, she's grim-faced. She's a woman of very few words. Mm-hmm. So, probably a badass in uh, combat. Mm-hmm. Um, def- definitely has one of those stoic, fem- femme fatale samurai type uh, character mm-hmm. design. 
So looking forward to seeing what she does in the series and mm-hmm. how she plays out. But yeah, those are the four um, those enforcers. are the four enforcers. And we've only been really introduced to two um, uh, two inspectors. Mm-hmm. And one of them is our protagonist and our um, POV character. Our POV character. Uh, and it, which brings me to another interesting point is um, something that I saw in one of those videos uh, movies with Mikey when he was reviewing uh, Big Trouble in Little China mm-hmm. is that you do have to differentiate between who your point of view character is and who your protagonist is in that um, the protagonist is the one whose decisions that they make move the plot forward. Mm-hmm. Whereas a point of view character is the person who you relate to because they're the ones who bring you in to the depth of the story. They're the one, yeah. They're the ones who you see the story. The, you, the, you see the eyes, the story through their eyes. Yes. So mm-hmm. uh, in Star Wars, the point of view character was C three PO because you followed his story arc getting to Luke, and then but Luke was the protagonist. His decisions drove the story forward. Okay. Uh, and then with. Um, but the funny thing is, um, with Pirates of the Caribbean, the protagonist was Will, was Orlando Bloom's character, because his decisions drove the story forward, mm-hmm. not Jack Sparrow's. Mm-hmm. Jack Sparrow was the one we wanted to know more. That was the interesting party. Mm-hmm. But the protagonist who, whose decisions drove the story forward was Will. Yeah, Will was the protagonist in the first movie. So Definitely. And so you have to keep an eye mm-hmm. on that when you're looking at your well, stories. Well, and another good example of POV character and protagonist um, being not the same person uh-huh. uh, is the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, where yes. Red is the POV character. We see the entire story through his eyes. But Andy is the protagonist. It is Andy's story. Yes, it is, mm-hmm. the, it is the decisions that Andy makes mm-hmm. that drives the plot forward. Yep. So, and so my interesting thing is our, our point of view... So I'm... Not clear as to who the actual protagonist is at this point because it seems like her actions are driving the plot forward. Her decision to join them, her decision to shoot the partner in the back, her decision to, mm-hmm. or not partner, I keep saying partner, to shoot the uh, enforcer. Her enforcer in the back. Uh, her decision to go back and apologize and to try to be a better cop. Mm-hmm. Her decision to ignore the advice of the other uh, inspector. The jaded inspector. The jaded inspector. Mm-hmm. And uh, listen to her enforcers. Mm-hmm. Listen to what the, um, their opinions. Mm-hmm. So it seems like she's more of a protagonist because her decisions are moving the plot forward. But that may not remain constant as the show goes forward. Mm-hmm. Don't know. I mean, we only we only watched the first three episodes. Yes. So um, that kind of takes us to our next point that I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed this. Um, she gets into work in the evening that day. Mm-hmm. And as she gets in, the old grizzled cop uh, uh, says, oh, yeah, I'm on shift now, so it's just you and me because the other guy, Kaguro, is, uh, or Kaguro, whatever. Yeah, the guy. He's still still recovering from being shot. So it's just the two of them. It's just the two of them. And uh, they're hoping for a slow night. And as soon as he says slow night, boom, the alarm goes off. And the moment it escapes his mouth, it's just way too ironic. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Uh, at the same time, you know, it's a trope. It's a cliche at this point. But oh, yeah. They played off pretty well. He's just like, oh, Chris, oh, really? Two days to retirement. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but he uh, he and um, Tsunemori, they go to uh, this mall 
And what struck me while they were in this mall is how much of this society is designed to keep people's stress levels low. I mean, when they got there, they put on holographic disguises, and these were holograms. Yes, they were. These uh, clearly were. These were clearly holograms. Um, where um, the po- so they were, so they, they had they they were like children's mascots of police officers. Yes, but. They uh, they were very clearly like people would look at them and know that oh the police are here, you know. Uh-huh. Um, they were very very clearly you know, the big heads, big eyes, and stuff like that. They had yeah. big flashing lights on the back. Yeah, I, I had flashbacks to a Full Metal Panic Fumofu. Oh gosh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it had that feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now now three things went in with them. It was our protagonist, the female inspector, the grizzled old cop. And they have this moving trolley that carries their weapons with them. Um, and what happened was that the holograms were around those two people, but there was also an invisibility cloak around mm-hmm. their... Uh, around their, the little trolley. The thing. trolley. And the three of them were making it through looking mm-hmm. for the individual who whose psychopaths number had uh, mm-hmm. exceeded allowable tolerances. Yep. And they find him, and they find him based off of the old man's instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's super impressed by that. Um, and it's just some kid who's looking probably at the girl that he likes with, with a, some with, with someone a, else. Yes. Um, and he and, and he's venting and fuming and looking like maybe he's going to make a very stupid mistake. Mm-hmm. And they come and they arrest him for something he hasn't done yet. Mm-hmm. Literally, he goes, but I didn't do anything, as they put him in the back of the squad car and send him off to go into therapy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that's something that I think I was around then when I noticed this next thing. Um, and so, that again, you, that goes back to the Minority Report Society. They where, haven't done anything yet. Mm-hmm. Where they, they, they are arresting people for crimes they didn't commit. Well, uh, Star Trek has another episode about something like that in Voyager, where uh, Balana. Um, somebody runs into her on a planet and her being part Klingon, uh-huh. her emotional reaction is that she wants to, you know, beat the guy up for running into her. But it's only her thoughts. And she says, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. And then she gets arrested because she thought about committing a crime. So, yeah. Yeah, so stories uh, like this of Thought police. Thought, we're we're mm-hmm. getting closer and closer to that. Let's let's not talk uh, about that. We're gonna we decided we're gonna keep stuff like that out of this. Okay. We're just gonna talk about the anime. Anyways, so um, the, this also brought uh, something that I noticed as well, and I was around this time when I noticed the symbol for the CID for the police force. Uh-huh. Um, and you guys can go ahead and look it up. Uh, just look up CID police symbol, uh, psychopaths. And you'll see that it's a pair of serpents going up a pole, um, which is almost the exact same symbol as the modern medical profession. Yes. And that symbol is from the Bible. Yes. It is from uh, the story of Moses and the the children of Israel, where the fiery flying serpents came and poisoned them. And many of them were dying because of these poisons. And in order to heal them, he was told to make a... a um, a serpent of, uh, it was either brass or brawn. I think it may have been brass. Mm-hmm. Um, and place it on top of a staff. And place it on top of a staff. And all they had to do was look at it and be saved. And this is symbology of looking towards the Savior, looking towards the Savior, being saved, having your focus be on Him. Yes. Um, and 
with just how clever the show has been uh, with its storytelling, I know that that's not a random happenstance. That's no, just not a cool design they came across. That's them saying, look towards us and you'll be okay. Look towards Sigil. They, they look towards the... Sybil, Sybil and you'll be just fine. Yeah, they, mm -hmm. they think of themselves as the saviors when they're actually causing the problems. Mm -hmm. But they clearly think of themselves as the saviors of the city. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh, look to God and be saved. Look to Sybil and be saved. Yes. So I really, really liked that icon uh, iconography. iconography in there. Yeah, it's uh, it's deep. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to the next point that you wanted to bring up. Yes. Um, so the way the Sybil system works is that it measures everybody, but it can't measure everybody at the same time. The system is limited, and so it has to... Uh, and so everybody's at a queue, and so... It takes a while for your score to get fully updated, and so, um, but if an enforcer, if one of their, uh, a dominator, if a, if either an inspector or an enforcer is pointing a dominator at a person, Sybil immediately puts that person to the front of the line for examination. Mm hmm So, they find themselves, in episode three... On a uh, murder investigation. Mm -hmm. An individual has ended up dead in a factory that manufactures large-scale robots. And the factory is undermanned. And so it's running 24 hours. People are exhausted trying to get their work quotas done. And and this was going to be written off as yet another accident because of their, their being overworked. Because it's happened twice before. So there are now three accidents within a given year happening at this facility. Mm -hmm. It's starting to look suspicious. And we should probably bring up the fact that um, this facility has... This is the same facility we were talking about earlier. Yes. Where they have no internet access. And the enforcers are asking, well, how on earth do they keep, you know, their... Uh, like, this is a pretty intense workplace. It's pretty life-threatening. What do they do to, you know, to cool off around here if they don't have access to the internet? It doesn't yes. make any sense. And then we learn what they do. But anyways. Yes. Well, so what's happening in this system is that these people that work there are not being judged by Sybil rapidly enough because the system can't get in to their company as well. Mm -hmm. because, of the, because they have so many countermeasures preventing hacking from uh, harming their systems and their, uh, their services. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Sybil can't judge them immediately, and Sybil also, and because of the radio blockage, their enforcers don't connect to Sybil when they're deep in the facility, mm -hmm. and so they can't just point an enforcer at these people and go, "Are you guilty? Are you guilty? Are you guilty?" And then the system would determine who among them were guilty. So it was initially proposed that everybody come down to a commons area where they actually do have internet signals. The cafeteria, I think it was. They have everybody lined up, and then they would be judged by Sybil, um, according to uh, through a dominator. Mm -hmm. And the very suggestion of that was met with a ton of red tape bureaucracy that was thrown at them through the uh, because it's a government facility, and they don't want. And so. Like, it's not my department, you're going to have to file an injunction with this department to get permission to file an injunction with this department, and mm -hmm. it just becomes this horrible mess. Mm -hmm. Well, while they're trying to figure out a solution to this mess, 
they find out how the other employees are relieving stress. They find one of their own who they isolate out and abuse physically and verbally. They assault him. They, it, and it's absolutely disgusting what they get away with in this Mm -hmm. system. And the idea is, and, oh, and then it just highlights the corruption of the civil system is because this is the, this is the way that the things have to work in this system. So they find people who would make good victims, people who can get their jollies off of, uh, people who make good victims become employed there. People who get their jollies off of abusing other people who are weaker than them get employed there. And managers who can who can tolerate this become managers there. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that this person should, after a certain period of time, be transferred out and so that he can escape that environment and then they get fresh meat to abuse and that cycle should continue. But something happened. This guy wasn't transferred in time. And that's when the first accident happened. Mm-hmm. And then the second accident. And then after the third accident. And and they're checking this guy's history. So, so some judging is happening. They're getting colors. They're getting judged by Sybil somehow. Mm-hmm. And they're finding some judging happening. They have a history on him. And they're finding that after the accidents, he's getting happier. He's getting less likely to commit a crime After an accident happens. Mm -hmm. Well, why should this be? Thinks the newbie. Mm -hmm. And all of the enforcers are like, really? You don't know why this is? Mm -hmm. Even before we adopted this system, we know why this is. Mm -hmm. And so, our other, our main male protagonist decides... Kogami. Kogami. He's back up on his feet at the beginning of this episode. Uh, Yes, at this episode, he's on his feet and has joined them for what's going on. He confronts the victim of the abuse. With permission from the inspector. With permission from the inspector. Mm-hmm. And then proceeds to abuse him himself. And then After threatens. being nice to him in the cafeteria in front of everybody else. Yes. Which makes the abuse even worse. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so... And then provokes him into committing a crime. Tricks him into thinking... If he doesn't kill him then and there, then his life will be ruined. Mm-hmm. And so, going from his old MO that he used to uh, to kill the other people, he activates a couple of robots to try to kill them. Much to the chagrin of our female protagonist, Tsunemori. who now has to start running for her life down many flights of stairs. Mm-hmm. From this guy. And they think that they're... Well, she thinks that they're safe because the machines that this guy has activated can't make it into the stairwell. But he just uses his laser cutter and cuts through the floor. Yeah, so he he starts descending floors one by one, coming after them. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, meanwhile, while this is all being set up, um, because the enforcer couldn't get in wirelessly, they had to set up a wired system to bring the... uh, the, they couldn't get not the enforcer the dominators. They needed to uh-huh. bring. They needed to wire up the trolley that carries it 
to a broadcast signal truck outside so that it could communicate effectively through the system mm-hmm. and then run that in. Mm-hmm. Which brings us, and so they do, and they're able to get the guns in the hands of the enforcer in time to confront the guy on his two. Oh, they look exactly like the, um, uh, what are they called? Tachikomi Mecha? The Tachikoma? Yeah, the Tachikoma. They from... look like the Tachikoma, but they're different enough. I mean, the Tachikoma... They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to be infringing on any copyrights. Oh, no. It, I but mean, it may as well, you know... They're industrial robots is what they are. They're industrial robots. Cutting lasers, uh, heavy lifting arms, moving mm-hmm. around on multiple uh, limbs, agile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what they are. And they come to a main... A main loading area, it seems, that the final confrontation happens in. Um, and that brings us to point number 10. Yep, the last point that we want to bring up, or that I wanted to bring up, is once again the Dominator. Um, they shoot the guy, and he doesn't die. They hit him with a stun round. Uh-huh. So apparently, you know, he's not dangerous enough to uh, not be reformed. Right. That being said, that's kind of scary because he's already killed three people. He has already killed so, three people, but he was a victim of that system that should have taken care of him. Well, they, they might still execute him later mm-hmm. for the crime of committing murder. Possibly. But, I don't know. But they were able to apprehend him without without killing, killing him. him. So we've seen up to this point two modes for uh, the Enforcer. Yes. Or not the Enforcer. Uh, the, the, the Dominator. The Dominator. Thank you. you. The we've, dominator. Seen, we've seen mm-hmm. Stun. We've seen stun. We've seen them stun uh, the woman. They've stunned this guy, uh, and they've uh, and and, uh, and, and they've killed... has stunned real fat. Let yeah. me finish. Yes, and... and she has and she stunned uh, the main guy. Yes. Um, and then we've seen its kill mode, where a bullet will cause you to implode from the inside out. It causes massive like... hemorrhaging that looks like you've been punched by uh... by Kenshiro from Kenshiro. Fist of North Star. Yes. Or I was also thinking, you know, how Tetsuo kind of explodes oh, yes. um, in, in Akira. Akira, you yeah. know, where they're exploding from the inside out. It's disgusting. Yes. Uh, um, and so that's happened twice. Once in the first five, once in the first minute of the first episode, as right after somebody gets thrown out of a uh-huh, skyscraper, and we just kind of see his guts up in the air. The second, uh, the uh, the rapist, the the I don't think, yeah, the well, yes, the potential rapist, the, the, um, may as well have been. Well, yeah, he was going for it when yeah. they stopped him. So saying potential rapist, yeah, yeah. okay. Anyways, yeah. Uh, and then we get to see the Dominator's third mode. Which I don't know what it's called, and perhaps the Dominator has even more modes as we go through the series. But the Dominator seems to change modes depending on the threat level. Mm-hmm. And there's more than just kill shot and a stun. This shot, it took a little bit to charge, but once it fully charged, he was able to punch a hole through these industrial grade robots. Which his aim was absolutely spot on because when you see the actual shot of what happens to the hole and the robot falls down, he had just barely missed. Sunemori. Sunemori. Mm-hmm. And then he shoots the other one. Uh-huh. Um, but the displace, uh, the uh, dis- displacer, or I'm getting the name again. The, the Dominator. Dominator, thank you. The Dominator um, is a really, really cool weapon. Yes, it's it is. It's really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing what more comes uh, comes so, of it. So this so this anime comes as an amazing package. It's got it's got your action. It's got your mystery. 
as it does as it's a cop drama um and uh procedural investigation type mm-hmm. so you you've got your interest there but it's also got the the layers of depth with what's going on with the uh with society and a society being run by an ai deciding who lives and who dies um the uh and all of these different elements combining together is going to make for a very interesting mm-hmm. piece so so you've got your shallow levels of interest so it keeps things exciting and mm-hmm. you've got your deeper levels of interest so that the excitement is also interwoven with some with meat mm-hmm. so uh, i'm really excited for this oh yeah same here i'm very much excited i'd like to see more of it um okay. there's a lot more of it yes um and since i've already finished all of um all of a certain magical index okay. <laughs> including the hour and a half movie that's the final episode oh wow um well it's not even really the final episode it kind of takes place in between two of the uh two of the arcs okay um i forget where but um it's a real fun show okay. and I really want to get on to the next show, but I'm kind of waiting so we can go ahead and do three episodes in for the next show. Uh-huh. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, so and also I... there's doing a third season called a certain scientific, uh, accelerator. Okay. So the accelerator is going to be the main character of the third season. Mm. So you've met the accelerator, haven't you? Maybe. Guy with the white hair. Who's able to change vectors. No, I haven't met him. You yet. haven't met him yet. No. Okay. No. I won't spoil anything, oh, okay. but he is the most powerful level five in the city. Okay. Okay. That's all I'm going to tell you. Um, anyways. Um, I think I remember Doug saying something about how how the ability to change vectors as a superpower is like the most OP thing oh, he's ever seen. You should see what this guy does with it because okay. everything, everything, has vectors. everything has vectors and he has power over them. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Um... So, next time, uh-huh. speaking of Fist of the North Star, okay, I have picked Fist of the Blue Sky Regenesis. What which, is this? Which is a series by the same guy. It's the same characters, but it's set in Chinese, like 1920s Chinese gangsters stuff. Oh, fun. Rather than post-apocalyptic stuff. Okay. So, I've always wanted to get into it, but I've never had a chance to read the manga. Uh-huh. And they're currently airing it. It's already three episodes on Crunchyroll. So, by the time we're able to do this next week, you'll be able to watch the next uh, episode three for free. Okay. Um, and I'm very excited to give it a try and see where it goes. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. So, tune in next week for Fist of the Blue Sky Regenesis for our three episodes in. Yep. All right, and that's it for three episodes in. Next up is our recommendation of the week, which it's my turn this week. Yes. And I'm going to go ahead and recommend a website that I use fairly often. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am a DM, a dungeon master. I run two monthly Dungeons & Dragons games. Mm -hmm. And this website has become so useful for me. It's Kobold Fight Club. What is this? Club. Go ahead and pull it up so you can take a look at it. But as you're pulling it up, I'll go ahead and explain it. This is an encounter generator tool for um uh, it's a it's with a k not a c so there you go kobold fight club so kobold.club so that's k-o-b-o-l-d dot club it is a fight generator you pick the size of the party the Uh level of the players it even lets you pick multiple levels depending on what levels your characters are you get to pick the um the alignment of the monsters the environment of the monsters um, you know, the challenge rating of the monsters, all that sort of stuff. And it gives you a list of all monsters used for Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Now you okay. see there 
so, real fast. They're definitely bootstrapping mm-hmm. this. I recognize all of the. Uh... Okay. Oh, it's it's very it's very basic. It's a very basic site. There's no monster oh, yeah. stats on this anywhere. If you want to get your monster stats, you'll still have to use the monster manual or any other numerous online resource no, for but, that. But it gives you but, the names to. It gives you the name of the monster and what page on the monster manual to get their information from. Yep. And it so, also gives so you. So this the... is a resource that. Uh, so this is a resource that gives you the information on. Um, where to find your your monsters, mm-hmm. but you still mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't replace the need mm-hmm. for the manual. Now on the bottom right of it, there's this nice little icon for a legend. If you click on that, it'll tell you it'll give you the color coding for the challenge ratings. Okay, and going for... from trivial to deadly. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite things to do uh, since my party this last Saturday, um, one of them rolled a natural one on their perception check when they were doing a um, when they were keeping watch that night. Yes, I went ahead and I, um, I uh, and I used this site to randomly generate a group of hard monsters for them to fight, <gasps> and they went up against a vulture, a giant vulture, two ghouls. And a scarecrow. And because she rolled a natural one, I gave the monsters a surprise round where the monsters went first. And their little gnome cleric uh-huh. um, died in the first round of combat because the uh, giant vulture gets three attacks. Oh no! Uh-huh. And because she's prone because she was sleeping, every single one of those attacks got uh, got advantage. So, for the oh. way advantage works in 5th edition is that you roll the d20, the attack dice, you roll it twice, and you take the higher of the two numbers. Uh-huh. I rolled two criticals. Oh. Mm-hmm. They saved her. They were able to save her and bring her back and stuff like that. But, yeah, they, uh... <laughs> that's not good. No, that's not good. So, but, yeah, I just did random hard <laughs> encounter, and boom, it came up with an encounter like that. So I highly oh. recommend this site. It's very, very useful uh, for new DMs, even for like experienced DMs. It's still great to be like, okay, boom, random encounter, here we go. Fantastic. I love little resources like this yeah. that are uh, just automatic so generators. I highly recommend kobold.club. That is Kobold Fight Club. The, once again, the URL is kobold, K-O-B-O-L-D dot club. All right, Fantastic. All right, and next it's our creator shout-out. All right, and I am very proud of our creator shout-out this week because this week someone dear to my heart has started selling some products online. My wife, Rachel, has for the last year been researching and developing methods for crafting homemade soaps using glycerin and essential oils and various cleansing ingredients that um uh they're just so good for you um she has sensitive skin that she can't usually use regular uh even even store-bought soaps and detergents if you look at the ingredient list for whatever reason some of them have aluminum in them i suppose that works as a exfoliant or something but she has an aluminum and she has a, a skin allergy to aluminum and so soaps and deodorants with that ingredient she can't use so she started looking into this and seeing places online and so she started her own etsy account and now we're selling soaps online to uh her goal is to uh start selling enough to uh pay for karate lessons for our kids 
and uh, cool. various other activities, get him out of the house, get him more involved in things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find your shop at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Ellsworth soaps. That's Ellsworth with two L's soaps, all one word. And, um, we got two products up as of last night and she's got seven more ready to, uh, put in. Um, we've even picked up a nice little, uh, uh, light box for, uh, doing some quality photography for it. Cause when you're sh- selling things online, the picture is everything. Mm-hmm. The picture is the deciding factor for most people. So getting some quality photos in, um, able to use some of my, uh, my own, uh, photographic skills okay. in that regard. And, cool. uh, yeah. So again, her, uh, her shop is at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Ellsworth soaps, plural. Um, and so give it a look. Okay. So that's our creator shout out for the day for the, uh, for, for the, the week. week. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I think that wraps it up for another episode. Anything else we want to cover before we, uh, we close out? I think that covers everything. All right. Well, I've been Andrew. I've been Lee. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.